Welcome to the JMS Podcast with Jorge M. Sanchez. Here we are again, ladies and gentlemen. We have a great episode today. It is jam-packed. Our main guest is the poet, the one and only Roberto Tinoco Duran. Had a great chat with him. Had a, oh my God, like this guy is truly an amazing person. And you can just feel that when you're sitting down with him and really talking it out. And I really got to give credit to uh, Ashley. Ashley, I won't say her last name, but Ashley sent me a, an email about him and that she wanted to see him on the podcast. And sure enough, I went right to work. So thank you, Ashley, for directing me towards Roberto. Um, I, I got to say, I, I think the stuff that he shared, I think there's a lot to learn from. Uh, and especially uh, myself, as somewhat of a poet, uh, there's a lot there to really digest and to really consider. And uh, once again, I think he's one of those guests that just blows me away, you know, and he's part of this community in the South Bay. And um, yeah, it's great. I mean, I can't say enough how great our conversation went. Before we get there, uh, I ended up going back to Empire 7 Studios in Japantown and had a chat with uh, Juan Carlos Arruyo. Um, if you don't remember, Juan Carlos was actually uh, the first artist I had on this podcast, and he's the one who runs Empire Seven Studios with Jen. And I recently, uh, Empire Seven Studios has been in the uh, in the social media. They're trying to raise funds to uh, because uh, pretty much to find a place um, for the gallery because the gallery is soon to be moving out of the area. So. It's always sad. I mean, a place like Empire 7 Studios, which in some ways is a landmark for San Jose, uh, it's just sad to see it, you know, have, having it to be moved somewhere else. And uh, I had a great chat with them about it. They weigh in a bit on the tragedy that happened in Oakland, uh, them as, as people who, who, own, who own a space for art. And it was really interesting to hear them out and on how they think of it. And uh, on top of that, uh, I think that that's great. I think this is what this episode's about. You got you got a little mini conversation, and you got one big conversation, and both of those conversations are amazing. God, I sound like Trump now. It's like, oh, this, it's gonna be amazing. Well, I assure you, it's amazing. All right, I think it's amazing. All right, if I didn't think it was amazing, it wouldn't be an episode. I, you know, I, I guess I would have scrubbed it or something. But I think this episode is awesome. Anyway, that's enough talk, right? You're like, all right, st- all right, enough. Just show us the stuff. I get it, I get it. Hold on. Before we go there, if it's your first time listening in, you can follow JMS Podcast on iTunes, or you can follow us on SoundCloud and Stitcher. You can also check out some extra content uh, on the jmspodcast.com website. jmspodcast.com. Visit it, people. And pretty much... Uh, you can also follow the JMS Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's on all those platforms. And I, I do put out you know, some extra links that you could check out from previous guests. And um, yeah, I think that's all i got to say about that. Uh, I know I haven't really been pushing it, but I really should. Uh, if you go to the website, you'll see that there's more content to this podcast than just conversations. Uh, you can check out... Uh, our, uh, I have a film critic here at the Genesis Podcast. His name is Jacob Wheels. 
and he went to go see uh, this film that's making raving reviews and some even say an Oscar contender for actress Amy Adams and he basically went to go see the, the film Arrival you can check it out on the website jmspodcast.com or on the JMS Podcast YouTube channel. Forgot to mention that. I don't mention that that often. This podcast does indeed have a YouTube channel as well. You can find it on YouTube, of course. All right, enough of that. Let's go check out um, my visit to Empire Seven Studios, and uh, yeah, let's go to that first. <laughs> Uh, Juan Carlos, great to uh, to meet up with you again. Awesome. Um, how you been? Doing good, man. Doing good. Uh, good to see you. And to to, see you. and today we are with uh, Carlos's partner in crime, Jen. Hi. Uh, both of you guys have been running Empire Seven Studios for like like years now, right? Like I'm talking about a decade almost. Almost a decade, yeah. Yeah. And uh, recently, you guys uh, have a GoFundMe page. Uh, yes. You guys have been, been, been in the news, on the local news, quite a bit. How's that been? <laughs> Surreal. Um, I mean, you know, I, I just really want to bring awareness, and I, I try to focus on that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I'm appreciative as well. Yeah. And, I mean, local channels like KTVU have been running pieces on, on your, you guys and, and Empire 7. So well, what's the future for Empire 7 right now? Uh, right now, so um, we're still running the campaign really strong. We're going to keep pushing, even though our uh, time to get out is at the end of the year. We're going to continue to uh, raise, try to raise money mm-hmm. to find a home. I don't, I don't want to rush into anything, so I want to really find a gem that we can transform and rebuild um, and expand hopefully what kind of criteria are you looking for in a space um, well you know uh, unfortunately we are uh, there's been some current events recently that you know really sh- struck really close to home and I think that's the Oakland fire uh, ghost ship and um uh, Obviously, I think we want something where we're not going to be harassed and we're not going to be uh, under the microscope just because we want to continue to cultivate culture. And you're uh, referring to being harassed by the city? Yeah, well, I mean, not so much. the You know, the, the, there's, I think, two sides to each coin. There's obviously two sides to each coin. And, you know, we do have to, I think, activate responsibly and... I think this place definitely speaks out, you know, for that as well because that was one of my biggest concerns and um, and I guess really truly what I'm trying to say is I think all of us as indie businesses, we all try really hard to make sure that our guests are, you know, it's, it's completely the opposite. It's not like, hey, come to my, like, dangerous box or something like no it's come hang out bring the kids bring the family and and um in places that are also um because so many arts places are being um gentrified gentrified so um you know i kind of hear the two sides of the story it's a very tragic story 
but um, more and more artists are having a hard time finding places to uh, to to do what their art or to even live. So it's a real it's like a real struggle, and there's like so much vacant space mm-hmm. in every city. I can guarantee you, uh, Oakland, including so. Um, we definitely they definitely want us to meet their standards and um as artists it's weird because we don't we don't have standards i guess it's not like we have a union right you know hey you know that'd be a first right a a union for artists yeah it's funny some of my colleagues and i were just in a sense joking about it too but it's, it's very true it's like who really stands up for us and and really wants to understand permanence a permanent situation, not just something temporary and something, you know, it, it, it has, a, like for me, it's, it's, it's a, what we do is very meaningful. It has a lot of meaning. And so uh, I guess with our current situation and, and probably where the movement will, you know, how this will be affected, we don't know. But let's just say ideally having a space where we wouldn't be harassed and we can continue to like mm. did have you had love. history with the city in san jose about empire seven or any other galleries I, I, been, no i think we've been getting we've been getting support and you know a lot of people i mean the mayor's even come into our one of our art shows and uh, we get the lot we get a lot of support it's but it's also hard you know there's a lot of barriers sometimes that we have to work through what do you feel is like the biggest challenge to get through a barrier well, like, I think San Jose strives to be an artistic hub, and there's so much talent here, and so many artists, so many creative outlets, but, you know, sometimes there's, uh, what's the word I want to use? Like, there are restrictions, or certain, um, you know, closed-mindedness, I guess, where they don't want to think outside the box. There's so much potential here, and, you know, me and Carlos have been talking about this behind, you know, at home you know, watching TV, thinking, you know, there's so much you could do, this and that, and it would actually put San Jose really on the map, not just San Francisco and Oakland. But I think uh, there's some some people in the, within the city that just don't see the vision just yet. So, Which is interesting because in some ways, Empire 7 has put San Jose on the map on different levels yeah. uh, as both a, an art gallery and as a, as a place for people to get together for you know, music shows and and also you got some great artists who are touring and they come by here. So it, for me, it's it's really sad to hear that you know uh, that you guys had to have to relocate. Yeah. Are you allowed to weigh in on the reasons why uh, you had to relocate? Oh, uh, I mean, because I'm yeah, not, we're, cause I'm, I'm, I'm we're so not the sure boot. why. Yeah. <laughs> now, but does that have to do with real estate or does that have to it do does, with... It does. It does. Um, it does have to do with real estate. And um, I think, okay, um, in many cases, I guess the area where we're at, you could, you, if you look around, although it looks pretty crummy and crazy, I mean, my neighbor's got a junkyard, but... He's a great guy, and he works his ass off. Like, he works probably, like, 16-hour days. Every day. And so, aside from him, like, really kind of being an eyesore and all that, like, there's been a lot of people who've had to move out already and been pushed out. So, and I guess as a city, we want to, um, 
we want to develop. We want we want to have like, I guess, nicer, a nice, uh, something more pleasant to look at, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, development, and um, but at the same time, it's important that with these businesses and the people who are here, who have been here, to to also not uh, just you know disappear because and that's it you know um and and you know overall like we have tons of support san jose has been fucking extremely supportive and i think our campaign has really uh, i mean it's got i think somewhere around three thousand shares we've raised about twenty five thousand dollars and for us i mean uh you know it feels like we've already won you know um our, our great friend Pat Parra has been a big part of helping us really accomplish that. Um, and so we, we like know that it is important for us to continue to fight, to stay here. It's, it's really like not so much like, uh, you know, um, this has also kind of put me personally in a position to like really want to to strive for a bigger place maybe and, and gets me out of my shell. And, and yeah. I think I'm really looking forward to the future. I'm actually excited about it's good. changing new, it up. It's, it's new chapter. New chapter. Yeah. And you're taking uh, advantage of this opportunity. Yeah. I, I think we have to, we all, yeah. I think that's what we do. I think that's what we do. As, as an people. artist, is that what you do? No, I'm not, I don't even claim that I'm an artist, to be honest with you. I, I work with so many of them and, and, and I think I've said this before, like I'm a painter, you know, and because I I exercise that, you know, I guess that that expression. So I don't want, and it's just really just wanting not wanting a label. So, mm. <laughs> but you know, um, what what we do, and, and Jennifer and I, I think I think we've learned a lot here, um, and I just want to continue to grow. And um, I think I lost your question, actually. That's all good. <laughs> I mean, and you actually brought up something very interesting that I want to hear from you, too. And that is that what do you feel you're taking away? Like what lesson, if there is one, that you're taking away from this uh, change of uh, chapter? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to drop a big one uh, on you guys. Well, I mean, I don't... I, I don't uh, is you meaning like what we've learned here or... The idea of moving. What's a good lesson learned here? Well, I would like to. Uh, <laughs> I think I think you should have a great answer since you thought this was impossible. Well, I, I, that's I don't know if you know that story. <laughs> no, when I we don't. First came into this building. It was, excuse my language, but it was shit in here, and it was just yeah. I was like, "What are we doing in this building? It's are you serious? You know, are we really seriously doing this?" And you know, of course, I just kind of went along with it. You know, Carlos has a huge imagination like I don't even hear half the stuff sometimes because he's always thinking and sometimes I'm thinking oh my god what is he thinking now but we came in here and it, it was nothing like it is now it took many years obviously and um but it all come it all started to come into place and you know uh, we can't think enough you know Ben Alexi who was here from day one he was a very, he was part of the first group show here he's still somebody we work with we represent his work and He's always believed in us, you know, and um, just like we always have believed in him as an artist. So 
honestly, you know, um, this whole change, I don't know if this can answer that question. We've learned a lot just doing what we've been doing for like 10 years. Um, it's never ending. I mean, we're always, I don't ever believe that you can never learn more. Knowledge is one of those things that you just keep going, you know, you just keep learning. And the only thing is, is when we move, what I would like to hopefully see is that we would definitely want to rebuild, but we want to hopefully not have to deal with the fact that we got to do this all over again, like 10, 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. So we really want a permanent re- a residence, a permanent place. Um, hopefully, um, if, you know, ideally we we're saying that we want something where we could buy in this area. I know that's pretty crazy because housing and business, well, I don't know so much businesses, but buildings in general, owning a building in Silicon Valley is very difficult. But, you know, even if it means going into a home where let's say somebody owns, but he or she understands our vision and is totally supportive and uh, we could go from there and just build a home there. Uh, you'll, you'll be surprised just being within just, just downtown itself. There's so many huge buildings that are just vacant and you see the real estate sign up. So much potential hmm. and they just sit there empty. So for what, I'm not sure, but hopefully, you know. I mean. Uh, for, and I guess for me, the lessons are, they're just never ending. And Jen's right. I, I, um, I think we're both big firm believers of, of learning. You have to be open-minded. Not, not knowing everything, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you definitely have to be open-minded in this business and, yeah. and you know... Sometimes, you know, we learn, we learn from each other, seriously. I mean, there's sometimes I might think, like he said, I'll say something is totally impossible and then he'll totally prove me wrong. So, <laughs> and I think, you know, I, from him I've learned, you know, also just simple things like you never know until you ask. Mm-hmm. So what to anybody. So, it's, you know, before I used to have that mentality, like, oh, no, that can't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, but now I feel like, you know, just ask. Well, I learned that, I think, I think the lesson to be learned, though, on, like, let's just say the ha- happy ending kind of thing. Uh, is that you can you can really take something that people might call dangerous or hazardous and transform it into something safe. Canvas, a canvas. Um, <laughs> Turn it into. Um, I, sorry, I just find it so cute. I like, guess they're using teamwork to um, to get this message yeah, across. Um, I'm all trying to fill but, it. Um, <laughs> that, so that you can you can take something like that like that, yeah, and use it as a canvas and paint what what we've painted here is, is build uh, how we build a community, mm-hmm. how we've put the spotlight on something. Yeah, I and. Um, it's it's uh it's been so fun man yeah um you know it's cool too is we moved into japantown about 10 years ago approximately and um you know of course he saw the building and then we started doing our thing what was this building before you got me interested now it was just a you you mentioned it was a shithole but like (laughs) like what was the function before i mean they they just used it for like warehouse and tires and things like that even before that right? before that but but like in the old days I think uh, what we heard was like meat packing plant or ice, ice house. house. An ice house. I mean, it was a refrigerator because it had like a hundred foot coil uh, that ran uh, through, you know, on the top. I mean, Even that metal piece. 
um, I don't know what you call it, but didn't well, it like transport wrap, I guess. meat and yeah. we've kept it original. Oh, I see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we never touched it. That's so crazy. Out of all the times I've been here, I've never seen that before. Oh man. No, just, oh, oh. sorry. Um, Jen is currently taking care of the front door. Yeah, we have an For the room. listeners out there, like <laughs> she just she just went quiet. Is this live? Yeah. No, it's not live. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I don't have the capabilities yet to go live. <laughs> Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. Awesome, man. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's amazing that you, in some ways you you could find, um, I guess you can say. Uh, similarities or or connections to, of course, the tragedy that happened in Oakland, where uh, you see a place that does not look like it's even habitable, but you know, with a bit of imagination and creativity, uh, you you make some, something of it, and in the process, you created a community. Um, and um, I, I guess I must ask, because uh, safety inside those spaces it's like, I mean at, at what point do you go like alright this is becoming a thing I should start investing you on, know, on safety yeah and, and I think it's important I, I mean it's it's extremely important I think um, so for me yeah. for instance like because you're one of the few people who independently own a gallery like there's as far as I know there's not that many people who independently own a gallery yeah and you build it from literally from the ground up almost. Yeah, I, I think, you know, in the beginning I can say that maybe it wasn't um, uh, the most appealing or the most professional looking. We definitely had, you know, we had uh, to polish it up a little bit. And however, it's like, I think, I think it's just, and this is not to bash anybody or anything, but I, I can just speak for myself that, you know, I've had tons of friends, and I and I say this for everybody who's out there listening, who, who wants to do something like this because uh, we need places like this. But I think it's also important to say, like, man, I know I know tons of my friends probably hate me for being like, no, man, we're not gonna do that. That's crazy. <laughs> like, no, we're gonna have, you know, we're not gonna do this. Like. As, as many as cool as it sounds to do so much sometimes like you have to be the bad guy and you have to be like okay um at least for my situation in my case there was plenty of times where i was just like no guys like you have to be the parent kind of thing you know yeah. and and it was all because you know not wanting to get shut down and not wanting to get like you know you know uh called the cops call on us or something like that you know what i mean and and so even as the years progressed i think i started i started to really reevaluate also uh how i wanted to represent the artists that we we showcase here and i thought that putting a little bit more work and effort into the space and, and creating a professional atmosphere i thought that that was like um just a smart thing to do just to, in a way it's kind of like it's like a curtain or something like the second you close that curtain right there you don't see all that mess right there but you know what i mean so we, we have to we and we have to do make way with what we can because we don't have you know just an extra th you know three thirty thousand dollars just to make a storage yeah you know what i mean um so 
every do-it-yourself spot makes way with what they can. And and there's no down-talking that. There's no, you know, dishonor in that. And uh, if anything, I think... Uh, I'm, I'm very proud to say that I, I just joined the uh, Multicultural Arts Leadership Initiative, which is kind of like helping me really like understand. Aside from that, plenty of friends have been uh, talking to me about the responsibility of leadership. and In the art community. In the art community. Yeah, it's dicey. That's dicey. And yeah, and it's like, it's extra, it's extra hours that I really need for myself, extra hours that I could use at home and but I'm there because I'm pre- I want to be present and if I'm not present then I can't make a change and if we can't make a change then things will never stop being the same yeah it's yeah. simple mathematics and, and sometimes it is a little difficult to really uh, uh, I guess reason with some creative people in the sense that it's different when you're a performer or when you're an artist and you want to use a space as opposed to the person who owns the space and the person who's like, who, who, who has like, if there are any consequences, it goes to the person who owns the space, uh, not necessarily to the artist or to the performer. You know, and that's something I had to deal with as someone who runs an open mic. It's like, mm-hmm. do I want this open mic shut down because somebody wants to, you know, go off on, on something that's, that's really going to be offensive? Or, or yeah. So, mm-hmm. so sometimes I have to play, you know, the dad, I guess, I found that weird mm-hmm. to say. But but I think it's great that they're taking initiative, the leadership initiative, and that there is some sense of um, what's the word I'm looking for formality yeah, in the art know, community. I think at the end of the day, I think I mean we're all artists, but um, if we want to succeed and we really want to make a living off of it, um, for the artist community, I say you know, um, art is a business. We have to understand it. And we have to, you know, really learn that 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 model because um, that will help us succeed. That will help us transform. You know, um, so my goal is to keep advocating advocating for for artists um, for years to come. Hopefully, man. Right. So, where can listeners go uh, online to support Empire Seven? Well, we have a link on our website, which is Empire Seven Studios, all words, Empire Seven Studios.com. There's a tab there for the GoFundMe link. Um, the GoFundMe is GoFundMe.com slash save dash empire dash seven. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have to think about that. <laughs> Visually thinking about that. Yeah. So. Um, how much more left do you have for your goal? We have quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is your goal? That, actually, I'm glad that you actually bring that up. Yeah. Um, we have quite a bit, but and I wanted to say this. I wanted to like say this, and hopefully, I you know who knows who might listen. But if anybody out there is like listening, like like I dare somebody to like help us and really make us a permanent establishment. Um, I am confident that we can do something uh, for years to come. And it's not so much like I'm just building a place for myself and, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to live a good <laughs> life. Boom, you know, all right, Carl's got, a, Carl's got a mansion over here, you know. <laughs> right. No, it's, 
I'm not gonna have you know maybe this is uh, hopefully this is not too much too giving away too much personal information, but I'm not gonna have children. Um, that's not one of my plans, or one, we're not gonna have children. <laughs> it's not one of my goals, and so um, and I and I you know I plan on doing this for as long as I can. So let's just say in a perfect world, like if the, if we were to build a community, a permanent hub, a place. Uh, for artists to, to house and where they don't have to worry about BS and and you know all the bureaucracies like and we can continue to open doors for people like that's I, I'm not gonna take it to the casket I'm not gonna take it on my grave you know what I mean they're not gonna burn it and put it in my urn like like it's gonna stay and it's gonna be a gift for artists to come you know, and that's what we're, I'm talking about. It's not about just like, oh, you know, give me another 20 years. Like, I mean, if we're able to build something that is truly a legacy, that, that will build that a legacy that can sustain and help artists really build, uh, you know, why not leave that kind of legacy behind? Mm. And so I, I dare some mm -hmm. big funder, someone who can really step up to the plate and say, like, this is important and I'm going to make this happen. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Now, um, this this uh, recording is not going to be out till Sunday, but is there any other events that people can attend to support Empire Seven Studios, or any, any other times to to stop by the gallery and well, we check still, it out? So, by the time this uh, goes lot uh, airs, I guess you could say, we would have already we have an opening um, tomorrow night. So. But the opening is three different shows. Um, it is going on for the whole month of December. Do you mm -hmm. want to elaborate a little bit? Uh, yeah, it's going. Uh, we have uh, three artists uh, showing through December. Uh, Chris, co-founder of Clout Magazine, Clout Graffiti Magazine, uh, S. Faustina, um, local, local legends, really. I mean, in my eye, and uh, also Messenger, and. Um, they're all really graffiti based, like graffiti influenced, not so much is it graffiti on the walls, but um, yeah, and that'll be up through December. We also have a pop up at Valley, at Valley Fair. Fair so with, it's a, it's a co op, it's like a, a group of people. So it's called the uh, Local Label, and it is uh, through San Jose Made, mm -hmm. and the Arsenal and Classic Loot are hosting us. The Pachy Elephant and some others. There's a bunch of us, a family of us, that are having um, for the month of December. So they're having pop-ups to, to the month of December. And um, and it's located downstairs across from the Levi's store. It's the easiest way <laughs> at to West, it. At Westfield. At Westfield Valley Fair. Valley Fair. Westfield, that's West Santana Row, right? Yes, right across the way. Right, okay. And what, what are the dates for that? It's for the month of December. For the entire it's, month, it's, you're going to be in there. Yeah, so part of it is it's about taking local makers, local shops into the mall and really offering something unique, something different. It's pretty cool because even the employees are kind of like snapping their necks like, what you know, what is, what's, what is this? <laughs> yeah. It's not like, you know, some commercial conglomerate kind of thing. It's, yeah. it's a bunch of do-it-yourself people yeah. <laughs> taking the old Sephora and just converting it into a really unique space. And we all, we have artwork um, yes. by Sam Rodriguez, uh, 
Tim Diet, Tim Diet, Pecoli and Mildred, um, Lacey Bryant, several Avery others. Palmer, just a bunch. Oh my God, I I, I was here like on Friday when Lacey Bryant, yes. she did, the closing yeah. show, closing show. That was amazing. That yeah. was awesome. Uh, man, yeah, you know we just having those performers here. Is ben Henderson's a, mm-hmm. a really good friend of mine, and man, that, that man can sing. <laughs> but yeah, check him out any 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 uh, chance you can. Uh, it's Ben Henderson and also Q and A. I'm not sure if you caught them as well, but they were the. F- I, I've seen them around the circuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty cool ga- gals. Yeah. Yeah, love the sound. So it's very cool. All right, Carlos. And thank Jen. you so much. Thank man. you. I really for, appreciate it. Good seeing you. No, I appreciate you guys coming out and talking about it. And uh, uh, nothing but good vibes towards the future. And um, thank you. And we're we're definitely you know from day one we're like. You know, let's be positive and, you know, just make the best of it. Like I said, new chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people have been supportive and, you know, just, but we're like, it's okay. It's it's not a, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do the best and we're going to stay positive. We're in good spirits, man. Yes, definitely. With everybody's support, to be honest with you, we feel like we've already won. Exactly. <laughs> all the friendships and all the people that have come and just t- took a moment to either call or email us or just come visit us at the openings and it's it's all love. Yeah. So we're really thankful. That's amazing. All right, thank you. Thank you. you. And there you have it. My conversation with Juan Carlos and Jen. I will be posting the links to the GoFundMe page on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Actually, I'm not too sure about Instagram, but definitely on Twitter and Facebook for sure. So make sure to check that out. Now let's go on to our conversation with Roberto Tinoco Duran. Um, I'm telling you, you better sit down, get comfortable, and really, really get ready to get your mind blown. Or if you're driving, that's okay. Maybe you're at work. Maybe you're at school. Maybe you are just with the girlfriend or the boyfriend. And you're like, you know what? Let's see what this guy Jorge is up to. And who he is talking to. Well, like I said, sit down. Get comfortable. And fe- and get ready pretty much for what is the, the I call it, the Jaguar Poet experience. Here on JMS Podcast. <laughs> By the way, another great thing that Roberto does with his uh, work is that he actually adds music to some of them. He he has a, a band, which he talks about, and he pretty much uh, fuses what is poetry and what is music and he, into one. And actually, I'm going to share one of those to you right now. It, it is uh, off from his um, live recording that happened at the Yard Boutique. Um, and this one is called As the Crow Flies. And after the song ends... I will, we will get to hear his story. And here we go.
cities lay below. So the cities lay before the lies as the crow flies. As the poor people continue to die. As the poor people continue to sigh. And no one asks why. And no one asks why. As the crow flies, as the crow flies, as the crow flies, so do the lies, so do the lies. Poor women, the poor men, the women, the poor men, women, and children sigh as they walk and wave goodbye. They never look up at the sky By and by By and by Wiping their eyes Wiping their eyes As the crow flies As the crow flies Wiping their eyes Wiping their eyes Another generation dies. Another generation dies. As a group Another generation dies. Oh me, oh my. Oh me, oh my. Oh me, oh my. As a group Duran. I'm happy they're here. The uh, the Jaguar poet, as you're told, among people in the scene. Um, so, sorry for the for, you know. It's been a long morning. I guess you know it's rainy. Yeah. How you been though? Are you feeling better now with the coffee? I'm feeling glad to be here with you, Jorge. Uh, and so, as far as radio shows go, I don't do any really. I mean, KKUPA did something. Uh, a few times over the years, but this is my first podcast. I didn't even know what that was, really. Mm-hmm. So here I am on a podcast, and yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah. Podcasting is like the pirate version of a radio, because in radio you have some formalities. You know, oh, you're on air, you can't say certain things. And on top of that, like once in a while you got like a musical break, or you gotta you know yeah. tell you know whatever. Right. 
But here in the podcast, you could talk, you know, but whatever, as long as whatever. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I don't know. It's a little different. Uh, I'll, I'll, it's, it, right now, it's it's a, it's a weird uh, thing going on. It's a, I don't know. So you're not really missing out by not knowing what a podcast is, really. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm glad you're here, man, and here to talk some poetry. You're actually one of the first uh, poets that I heard of when I started checking out the poetry scene here in San Jose, but this is like a long time ago, so you, you, you've been around here for a while. Yes, that's what they say. I don't know if they want me to go somewhere when they say that. I've been around for a while. Like, uh, yeah, I've been doing this poetry scene. Uh, my first uh, written poetry was in 1974 when I was a student at San Jose City College. And uh, wow. it was uh, a mandatory thing. This is what happened was I was late to turn in my term paper to Dr. Mauro Chavez's uh, class in 1974. Great man, uh, the late great Mauro Chavez, who ended up being uh, the mentor to me at the time. Uh, and he said this, what do you have? The term papers due in two days I go, I have nothing. He goes, don't you write poetry? Because he had heard that I was into the poetry a little bit starting. And I said, yeah, yeah. He goes, well, I got some scribbly papers and I got stuff written here and there. He goes, well, can you get somebody to type it up for you and turn something in? Because I, I don't want to fuck you. Yeah. Uh, so I did. I went to a friend. She typed it up. and uh, So I turned it in and he says, great. I got an A on that, you know, I turned it in. He goes, but now you have to read the poetry. I go, that wasn't in the deal. He goes, well, you don't have to, would you like to? I go, I've never done a reading in my life. He says, yeah, yeah, listen, let's go. And the poem was about, against police brutality. It was a poem about uh, Danny Trevino getting killed, shot, in, you know, uh, early 70s. And, uh, at that time, it was 74. So I wrote a poem about Daniel Trevino and about police brutality in general. And uh, that was my first writing uh, was about police. Strangely enough, uh, it, it was out of necessity. And it was uh, my anger coming out on the paper. And I liked, I really dug being able to put my coraje, my anger, my angst, all that on the paper, and then actually reading it it was a good release. So from then on, it, that's how it started, my first poetry in 74. Uh, yeah. What were you studying? Yeah, general ed, like everybody else. You know, general, I didn't know what I was really going to get into. Uh, you know, I'm, City College, was 71. I graduated from James Lick High School in East San Jose and uh, went to City College. Uh, but yeah, I was just trying to find out what I was interested in and really didn't know. So by accident, you got into poetry almost? I would say by necessity yeah. uh, due to the times. And the crazy part is, really the bad part is, is that nothing has changed. If anything, it got progressively worse. Uh, but I remember t you know, reading the, p the poetry and got really, people got really, they got kind of upset. They really didn't like it. They, was, they were like, what are you talking about that? Can't you write something about something else? I go, well, right now, I want to write about this. All right, that's what I'm feeling. And there'll come a day, maybe I'll write about something else, but right now. So yeah, uh, 
I would say out of necessity. It, to me, it's not a hobby. Uh, poetry, it's a survival tool for me. Uh, hobbies, eh. You know, pool is a hobby, you know, bowling is a hobby. To me, poetry is a life necessity, uh, a place to vent and to not necessarily encourage other people because I have to say that I don't care if you like my poetry or not. I'm not writing it for you or this or that person because if I did that, I wouldn't want to do it wouldn't be honest to me mm -hmm. so uh so that's the way it, it flows it's like you, you don't want to cater to somebody heck no i know that would be boring and it would be disingenuous too right you know because um, you, you have something to say you're expressing way because you you have a point to make uh, uh well it, yes but there's also when i the process uh and, it's, and it begins when it begins it starts when it starts i don't really set out to make a point although i do make points in terms of what i'm saying about this entity and that entity this group and that group versus this group and the other group yeah i i uh i'm a sort of critic i'm an anti-poet i would say i don't even like the word poetry because it first of all poetry's got a bad rap and deservedly deservedly so how so? Why? Because, well, here I am in high school, okay? Yeah. 68, 69, 70. And I couldn't get into the classics. Besides that, uh, we we were in a group. It was, a, it was a, a tracking system back then when you were in the first, second, or third group. Well, I was always in the, the dumb group. The, the dumb third group. group. Yeah. Well, we didn't call it. We called it something else. Hardcore. It was called... It was some, some kind of term they used for, for the... The people that weren't going to college, we weren't college material. We were put in certain general ed classes to just get us out of high school. This is 68 to 71. Oh, man. Yeah, it, it, it was, uh, there was no encouragement for college. Are you kidding me? You know, I And mean, this and is it, back in the 60s, right? Where, yes. where people t told it like it is. You know, yeah. people were like. Well, yeah, but then in James Dick High School at the time, uh, it was a white school. Mm. Okay, if I can say that, white school. Yeah. Because uh, we were the real minorities. It was just a. Uh, that's when the whites were president. And it's, this is so funny. You know what street James Lake High School is on? On White Road. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> now, okay. It just proves. Yeah, it's White Road. It proves it's, it's, yeah. it was a white school. And all the rich kids lived up in the hills, you know? The only time we went to the hills was to go to the barbecues, to go uh, hiking up in, the, you know, Eagle Rock, at the, you know, the falls, the creek. You know, uh, guys from the, from the barrio, from the neighborhood, we go over there. But yeah, it was a rich school at the time. There was a lot of famous people that came out of it in terms of you know, money people. Uh, I don't get into that. But um, Jim Plunkett also went there, you know. So right on, you know. Luis Valdez went to James Lick. So I mean, yeah, it's, uh, some really strong people. Uh, but yeah, so going up in East Hills Drive, the white flight began. And then other people started coming in. And uh, But we got there in 1959. I came from Delano. Where's that at? Uh, Delano is uh, south of Fresno, right before Bakersfield, in mm -hmm. the valley, Kern County, yeah. So that's where you and your family are from? Yeah, I was, I was born in Bakersfield, and uh, well, only because Delano didn't have a hospital, right? So uh -huh. 
Uh, what line of work was your family doing over there? Well, I came when I was over Pacheco Pass. We came in 1950. We came like the, like Jed Clampett in the Beverly Hillbillies. Uh, big old truck, loaded down, roped down and all that. And we came in 59. Mm. And that's when it was real precarious, downright dangerous uh, Pacheco Pass, a lot of fatalities. It was like two lane road. Now it's really big and it's changed. But that's the road that takes you over the valley, you know, boom, yeah. Los Banos, and here you go into Highway 99. And uh, I had a piece of road that says, uh, uh, Route 66 ain't got nothing on Highway 99. So I, I, that poem came from that experience. You know. So it was, how many siblings did you have? Uh, it was nine of us. Nine of us in, in one big truck. Well, uh, no, uh, well, nine, nine fa family members all together. Yeah, yeah well, it was a couple of trucks in a car. It was like a caravan. It, it, yeah. So you got a caravan yeah. just, just going through this dangerous uh, yeah. road, in, windy in, road. In 1959. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. man. It was, <laughs> it was seven, yeah. It was, to me, I was exciting, you know. Never seen mountains before, right? Because yeah. we live in the flatlands. That's 99. That's a desert, baby. That's a desert, you know. Uh, so to me, I was excited. And then when I, we got to uh, San Jose and lived in the east side, uh, I remember it's the first time I, re I heard the word wetback. Really? Yeah, it was directed at me. Oh, man. We, so we, we, moved, we moved in the neighborhood. I, I had a heavy Spanish accent, uh, spoke more Spanish than English, believe it or not. And so we go in the neighborhood. And by this time, uh, it's, it's a Chicano neighborhood, okay? It's a Mex Mexican-American neighborhood uh, where I was. And I remember going to school, and within a week, I heard the word wetback, and I got into fights because they were, I didn't even know what it was. I went, one time I went crying to my mom. I said, what is, mama, guess this, what is it? She didn't know what a wetback was. They were mm -hmm. calling me, and I never forget that experience. And it was the, the white students, or was it the... No, the, the Chicanos. The Chicanos. The brown guys. Yeah. But they were, you know, they were seven, eight, nine, and they were teasing me because they spoke perfect English. Mm. They had been there, right? Came from the valley where Spanish was predominant. Mm. Yeah. And then yeah, you continue with high school, and you say that you, it looks like poetry was something that was too... Uh, it was too white. It was too white. It was none, I couldn't relate to it. Uh, it. It was the thing you did. I was uh, an athlete. I was a wrestler, track. Uh, I got involved with the Chicano Student Union as a freshman. Uh, we actually changed the name from Mayo Mexican American Youth Organization to Chicano Student Union, which was a radical move in 68, even at the school. So I became active in the in that group. So you know. So early on, you were a young, oh, yeah. a, a young activist. I just, it happened. Yeah. Uh, you know, in 69. and uh, I remember uh, getting involved with the. It was a caravan. Food and clothing caravan, 68, 69. We, we raised uh, awareness and also we actually brought goods to Delano in a caravan. Uh, several cars and a bus. And students from James Lake from the Chicano Student we went to Delano to the Filipino Hall and took stuff. This is 68, 69. Yeah. So, yeah, I became active pretty much right away in high school. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it so what made you change your mind about poetry? 
Well, back then, I didn't know what poetry was in, uh, in high school. I didn't care for it. It wasn't anything to do with me. Uh, my family was uh, uh, not into write, writing in terms of uh, being scholarly or uh, professional writers of any sort. It was, you know, they, we, uh, they were more blue collar? They were more, more blue collar. Uh, except for my brother, uh, Tommy, uh, who went to San Jose State. This is, this is, well, here we go. He was the first Chicano, Tommy Duran, first Chicano juvenile probation officer in Santa Clara County, okay? Mm. So somehow he, he went that way. And then he you know, went into service. So he was he was the straight guy in the family. You know, he was the guy. Was know. he the middle child? Well, let's see, I'll be 64. He's uh, three years older than me, four years older than me. Oh, he was the older one. He's older, but my, I have yeah. brothers in their 70s now, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah, so. so He's a straight-edge kid that that, yeah. that went into do uh, yeah, legal stuff, and I'm gonna. That's gonna lead into something that I want to address too. That about my other brother, David Durant. So, so Tommy went into that field, and uh, it was a good thing he did for a lot of people in the neighborhood because he uh, he ended up giving some breaks to some of the people that were getting in trouble in the neighborhood that were on their way to from jail to prison. So he kind of. Uh, he understood what's going on, and, and you know, yeah. I think he was more helpful uh, than maybe he wanted to be. But you know, he seen what's going on. I want to talk about my brother David Duran. My brother David died in hospice, Vacaville State Prison. Uh, it's going to be two years, January twenty-eight. I dedicated a reading to him at the Works Gallery, and also uh, I am very happy to announce the. Jaguar Poet documentary film about my work, my life work. Uh, the trailer's out, and I believe you have a copy that. Yeah, I'd love seen. to talk about it. Yeah, 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 down the road, yeah. Well, it's dedicated to my brother David Armando Duran, and it was uh, after 30 years in the joint. He died in hospice. It was a real horrible experience for our family, and uh, we ended up in Sacramento for a week to visit him daily, and. Uh, The other thing is, I was in prison. I went to prison in 1978. Assault with deadly weapon on two police officers. Mm. Uh, and I'm not... Was this in San Jose? This in San Jose. I uh, trying to prevent them from shooting a friend. I got hurt, and it was, it was a fiasco. It was a bad experience. So your friend was getting arrested, and you... No, well, it was in the house. It was a house thing, and it was uh, arguments and stuff. I just happened to be giving him a ride, and the police came. Yeah. They were called and the neighbors so, uh, escalated and uh, you, I almost got killed. Yeah. I, yeah. I almost got killed. I almost got shot. Uh, I got cut up and police officers, I, I I fought against them and they got hurt. You know I mean? They, they were going to shoot my friend and I hit one with, the, you know, with the lamp and I moved pretty fast. I had to. I was scared to death. It happened so quickly. Uh, I ran out, and I, when I was caught, I had blood all over the place. I ran into a house, two doors down, and got me. And they were going to basically put me out. Mm. Uh, they were going to uh, kill me uh, because the officers were hurt. They were down. Yeah, they were bleeding. You, you, that happens in San Jose. You're gonna, you know, most of the time you're gonna die. Ninety-nine percent of the time you're gonna die. I, a guy was with me, spared me. You know that that it was an experience. I don't talk about. <laughs> Here I am talking about it in the air. 
I, well, it, it, I, it, it seems like it's a very important thing I, in your life. It, I mean, uh, I, by the way, uh, I'm not proud of that, and I am not saying this to you in any way, shape, or form to brag about it because they got hurt, but they were trying to kill me. I, I you know, I, I didn't. Uh, uh, I know what's going on today with police killing American citizens, black, brown, poor, white. Uh, and I don't like that. I, I hate that. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thankful that I'm now able to address it in my poetry. I'm still talking about that, of course. Uh, and it's gotten worse. I, I uh, was very fortunate, and again, uh, by the grace of God, uh, I am here talking to you. Mm -hmm. and, and did did you find um, poetry played a part while you served your term in prison? Well, what happened was, as, as a result of going to the joint, I started picking up the poetry really, really crazy. And, and it was... Uh, Is there a poetry scene in prison? I wouldn't call it a poetry scene. It, it's it's uh, just to pass the time and the, and the days and the years. And, and it's something to do and something to... Uh, a way to vent. You know, you're locked up in a, in a cell, man. You know, cement and steel. You know, you, you, you go crazy. So poetry is definitely an outlet. And after I got out of the joint, 19, I'm just going to jump around here. In 1980, I paroled. And what I did with the money, it's called the gate money, $200 if they give you, you come out of the joint. And first thing I did, within the first week, I went to the local printer. It was Foothill Printers, I remember, in uh, East San Jose. And I, I bring my manuscript or my papers to the printer. He goes, can I help you? He goes, I go, yeah, I want to... I want to publish a book. I want to. I want to publish this book. He looked at me. He goes, with this look in my eye, like a poetry book. And like I'm buffed. I got tattoos. You know, I'm pretty intense looking. I'm out of the joint. You know. Yeah. And the guy look. He looked at me. He goes, oh sure. Uh, and then and he was blown away. And then I go, I'm willing to help. I'm willing to you know do whatever I have to do to get a good deal on this. Ends up. Uh, we got along. I came back what the second, third time, and he allowed me to go in the back. Look, I tell you what, you help me collate, staple, and fold. I'll give you. A, so I, I ended up literally with hands-on working on my first poetry book, and it was called A Friend of Sorrow, sixteen pages. My first book, and he made a comment to me after we became friends in a couple months, and we had to do a second opinion, third opinion. He says, "You know." Uh, you're probably not going to make any money on this. And I said, I don't care if I'm going to make any money on this. Just finish, you know, let's just do this. And he just wanted to tell me, you know, you know uh, I guess trying to discourage me or encourage me. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, and that was my first book, 1980. Yeah. God, that's such a beautiful story. I'm kind of crying over here. <laughs> so, but, but that's amazing. Straight out of joint, you go and you publish your poetry book and what, what kind of what kind of content was it in this poetry book oh man I taught one was called uh, Xerox Day and Carbon Copy Night it's a few lines from there I don't have it with me obviously but another one was called King KJ and King KJ was about PCP and what would happen as a result of this PCP because it was real prevalent in the neighborhood a lot of people were going were ODing were dying were getting killed 
jumping off buildings, uh, running naked through the streets. Uh, it was horrible. It was, uh, the strain of PCP at that time. Oh, they called it uh, different names. They went through the crystal, this, that, and the other. Uh, it was basically animal tranquilizer. And uh, a lot of the guys in the neighborhood were messing with it. I got to, you know, honestly, I, I tried it because I wanted to see what it was like. And, man, I, I hated it. Yeah. I'm glad I hated it. Got a bad, bad trip? Bad trip from the gate, man. And I also did acid. You know, it's the 60s, so I did acid and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I, I went on bad trips. I said, no, I don't think I'm going to continue with this either. Heroin, no. My brother got into heroin, and he ended up in the joint, and that just scared me. Uh, people ODing. So it was all around me. Uh, and, of course, I drank. And I liked drink. You know, ended up hanging out, you know, with the guys and bars or whatever, and I was still fairly young. I was in my 20s still, like, you know, uh, late 20s. But, yeah, that's how it started. It started uh, in 74, and then in 78, this happened with police, and I ended up in Solidarity State Prison. I, <clears throat> I'm going to jump back. Uh, I hadn't been back to Vacaville State Prison. At that time, 1978, it was called a reception center, a 90-day observation where the convicts go and the psychiatrists and the people that run that joint decide what kind of material you're made of. If you should go to the joint with the big boys or you should go to a camp and, or if you get a break, well, they threw the book at me. I got a bad psychiatric evaluation. That, counts, that uh, psychiatrist didn't like me for crap. Hmm. So then... I knew it was going. <clears throat> so, uh, back to my brother David. Well, <laughs> turns out my brother's in hospice dying at Vacaville State Prison. And guess where I go back to see him die? Vacaville State Prison, where I was at in 1978. The irony of that. Now, if that doesn't make you want to write something, I don't know what will, okay? It's a necessity, I'm telling you, man. It's survival. And my brain couldn't hack it. My emotions were blown away. I was um, not stable, man. I was uh, I was thinking bad thoughts. I mean, really not good things. When you went back to visit him. Yes. I mean, well, thinking bad thoughts about how I, when I was there, what happened with me, and, and then going to, getting sent to Soledad. And here I am going to the prison there. I said I would, I swore I would never go back to prison. And again, I'm so appreciative of that. And lucky that I never went back to prison, mm -hmm. you know, to this day. That's 37, I paroled in 1980. Was that 37 years, something like that? Mm -hmm. The hard part was having to go in there to see my brother die in the very prison that I went to when I was in, in 1978. The irony of life, that is it, the ultimate irony. But I went. I I went. I'm not, it wasn't going to stop me from going to see my brother. Because I swore I would never step, I would never go back to prison. And I go back to see my brother die in prison at the same place. So uh, I haven't really written about this, you know. I'm talking about it in a year, but I haven't, haven't written this down in any form. Uh, uh, it's in the poetry. It's inherent in the poetry, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, so I'm going to go over because that, that was very deep. It's like, oof. Quite something, man. What have you gone through? In some ways, I think that makes you unique as a poetry around here. Uh, because I, I remember seeing you perform for the first time. 
and and I've been listening to the tracks that you recorded at the Art Boutique, and that is, oh man, yeah, is that your poetry has a sense? I'm not sure if it's the 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 angerness or or, yeah. or, or or the 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 amount of energy you put in it, but it has like a rock and roll vibe to it. It's like it's like fuck you, sit down, you're gonna listen to what I'm gonna tell you. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I mean, I haven't got that's that. That's the vibe re- I got from it. I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm going to... That's the best review I've heard <laughs> all day. Uh, yeah, this is the cool part. I got to tell you, I'm going to go from... Uh, when I was in the joint, though, I got to... Uh, Buddy Miles is in prison. You know who Buddy Miles is? No, who is that? Buddy Miles played with Jimi Hendrix. Oh. Okay. Well, was Buddy Miles was a drummer. One of, oh, the drummer? drummer was one of the most famous drummers. He was one of the top-rated drummers in the world. Was this before Mitch Mitchell or after Mitch Mitchell? Uh, this is while well, you're talking about the, the 60s and early 70s. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, well, so Buddy Miles played with uh, Jimmy Hendrix. He was in the joint. I remember when he came in, and I got to meet him, and he was looking for a conga player because he had they had a prison band. This is when I I went from a medium security to a Minimum security, I'm on my way out to parole. My last year is South Camp in Soledad in Salinas. And so, they, they, you know, I had a band room. So Buddy Miles is, uh, you know, in the band room, I go by and then I went, I go on, because I play congas. I used to play, I used to do jams in, in the parks. Hmm. So I went in there and he was looking for a conga player. You like, know what? That's the thing I haven't seen in a while. I remember when I was young age, I would go to Cesar Chavez Plaza yeah. and see a bunch of guys yeah. playing their congos. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see that no more. Yeah, well, that was, this was in William Street Park. This is like well, a long time. I mean, quite a while ago. So I'm in there. Yeah. And he hears me play. He goes, he goes hey, I, I like the way you play. I, go, well, I, jammed, I jammed in San Jose in the streets, some parties, this and here. He goes, well... I want you to be my conguero. And then some of those, there was um, other guys there that they wanted to be the conguero, but they really didn't play. They played the same beat. And, mm-hmm. and so he, he heard me. And so I was a, a conga player for the great Buddy Miles in prison. Yeah. And the name of the band was The Grease Machine, baby. <laughs> I swear to God. Yeah, The Grease Machine. And um, I got pictures of it. Uh, there'll be some stills of it in the, in the documentary. Yeah. You see, you'll see you see Buddy Miles there. And he, Talk. So that was a, a crazy ride there. Uh, people were disbelief when I tell them that I played congas for Buddy Miles in prison. Yeah, so it, you know that's kind of adventurous life I've had. You know, do you feel there's anything you learned from him? Well, he basically told stories about Jimi Hendrix and him and how they used to, you know, what they used to do and the women and the cars and the the Rolls Royce and the, his guitars and that he had. So I mean, it was just. Uh, a good time, and he was high all the time. You know, he was high all the time, and then the joint. Everybody's high in the joint most of the time. You just, you know, uh, a lot of drugs in there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> ironically. Yeah, yeah. People get convicted <laughs> for drugs, and they go in there and do more drugs. Right. Like they you like that. So, uh, and making the leap from Buddy Miles in ninth, you know, in, it was six, 78, 79, uh, to the eight nineteen band, who I want to talk about because you mentioned the art boutique. And the 819 band is Dustin, it's Jason, there's a couple of the cats that, uh, they're like local house band, and they do the sound for the Art Boutique, for the other groups, the open mic. And so they're great musicians, and they, you know, they, they're they just really good. They all play different instruments. So when I started reading my poetry, uh, it was Dustin, I think, he goes, hey, uh, 
we back you up? Would you like some backup? Would you, would you like us to play behind you? And just, I don't know how it started, how it initiated. But so I do the open mic and they would come behind me and, and all of a sudden we just go off. So I said, whoa, I really like the way this sounds and they liked it. So at one point uh, I had gone to Modesto and I wrote a song called As the Crow Flies. It had been sitting for years. And I wrote it, well, on Crow's Landing, Modesto, you know, surrounded, we were in the field, you know, corn and rows of corn this way and rows of corn that way. And you're in the middle of nowhere in the cornfields and crows everywhere, right? So I, I called it As the Crow Flies. And that's one of the songs that we did and we have uh, with the 819 band and we have it on, I think, it's online somewhere. Uh, I forget uh, what it, uh, the name of it, Bandcamp. Bandcamp? Yeah. And then, so, uh, yeah, uh, I really like the sound and the guys like the sound. And so we, we did an album and, and an update, we're gonna do another one. And I can't wait to go back in the studio with the 819 band and come up with some other stuff. And it's funny that you said the rock sound, like the rock sound poetry. Well, even I, without the music, you got that element in there. Oh, cool. Uh, Why, know, oh, that, if it works, it works. Because, yeah, you know, when you go to a, a poetry uh, event, whether it's an open mic or something, mm -hmm. you, you know, there's some that are, you know, perform a certain way. Right. And there's others that are more animated. And oh, there's gosh. more quieter. Uh, but you come in like a force of nature, and you, and you just fucking go out there, and you, and you, and it, it's really for me interesting to watch you uh, performing. Well, I, I, I believe I'm not I, kissing your ass, by the way. This is no man. 100%. Hey, I won't even look at it that way. I, I, I take it as a compliment, and I'll, I'll and I appreciate it very much because uh, I have to say, I think we were talking about this earlier. Uh, the the reason I started writing poetry is because I hated poetry. I thought it sucked. Yeah. I thought it was bullshit. Uh, not for me. Waste right. of time. Lo and behold, look what I'm doing now. So it's not something I set out to do. It's something I studied in college. Uh, I'm not an academic poet necessarily, but I did graduate from San Jose State in social work, baby. Okay? So uh, you got these academics. I call them muy academics, you know. Um, the strange part is... Uh, I've read in colleges from the Bay Area to New York. I've been, I lectured at Cornell, strangely enough, you know, I mean, I got flown and blown over there. You know, I stayed for a month and they paid everything. And then I went back to New York, what, three, four more times for big festivals. And so I, I'm very grateful for that, uh, that ex you know, those experiences. Uh, but I don't follow uh, a line of poetry and people say, well, who's your favorite poet? I don't even like that question because I'm a reader. I've read d different people all the time, but I never studied poetry per se. Uh, something that, that, that can you even study poetry? Do you think? I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, in a sense that I mean, because <laughs> it's one thing to be told you should read the, this person's poem yeah. and this person's poem and and, and analyze them. But at the same time, the, the beauty of poetry is that it's it's more of a performance thing where you really. To take it's to really I'm not sure what I'm trying to say here necessarily. That's okay. Yeah. But it, it, it's more it, it's very subjective, and a poem could mean something different to you and to me at the uh, same time. Yeah. Uh, the reality is, once I write it, it doesn't belong to me. Once I say it, write it, it goes to somebody else's senses, man, into their you know their brain, into their soul, into their heart, into their being, whatever it does. 
I, I'm, it's gone. I wrote it, and and then bam. Uh, You're pulling out a book. Are you pulling out a book? No, I oh. I want to read something that I wrote about the subject we're talking about poetry and writing and all that. Yeah. Um, and I I best explain it with poetry. I will explain your question with a poem because that's the only way I know how to do it. Uh, I, I I don't like describing my poetry, so I wrote something. Um, and by the way, I don't like people, poetry readings have gone to read another freaking cell phones. It's fucking disturbing. You hate that? I hate it. <laughs> when they pull out the cell phones? I, when they pull out the cell phones, I want to throw something at them. You know? <laughs> Come on. You know, I've never seen that before. I've never seen a poem, it's a, a poet. I don't like it. I've never seen a poet get heckled. Well, I see that in comedy, I think the course. people are too nice or something. Well, you know, but, uh, put some work into it. Get your pencil, get your pen. Put it on paper, take it out, and it just it just has a better feel. You pull out this contraption and you're staring into it, and then you're reading. It just kills it for me. Mm. That's it. I just, yeah, old-fashioned guy, I guess. I, I, <laughs> you know, just me, man. I, um, I don't I don't dig that stuff. Um, so, but let me let me read something here that maybe will answer your question because it, it's a legitimate question, man. You know it is. So, this is what I wrote. And by the way, I don't title my poetry because it's unnecessary. It's a waste of freaking time. Just get to it, okay? I, don't title. Screw titles, man. I don't need the titles. Screw Forget titles. about it. Yeah, screw the titles. Just get right into it. And I don't label my poetry. I don't name my poetry. I just get into it. It goes like this. It's a question. How do you describe your poetry, Roberto? I don't. That's the poem. <laughs> okay? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then I even wrote something. Uh, it says uh, that was very eloquently put. <laughs> I'll tell you that another poem I wrote. It says untitled. I have friends who are physicists, and then I have friends that don't exist. That's another one. Another piece. Uh huh. Another piece is I'm only human. No, you're not couple examples anyway. yeah, I hear you <laughs> so well, uh, well, well that's what I'm saying is that poetry is so trans trans um, transcendent it's, it, transcendent it's everywhere it's both physical and not physical it's both you know it, it's just for me it's a lot like air where it, you, you can't really see it you can't even put it in the box but it's there yeah. so it, for me th there is a sense of uh, of almost counterintuitive to put it in an academic yeah. standpoint because counterintuitive I didn't know what that word meant I had to look it up and my one of my books uh, this one was by Bilingual Press out of Tempe Arizona State and the editor wrote that I was counter a, a counterintuitive poet really? I didn't know what the hell that meant I, 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 look I don't up. know what he means by that context <laughs> you know yeah yeah so uh but I consider myself an anti-poet, really, because I, I'm very critical. Uh, it's my nature. But also I write, I have the, my moments in my poems where I write about, of course, my daughters, my mom, my sister, uh, you know, more uh, really genuine love words, words about love, and, and, and they come out poetic, fine. But I just wanted to give them an homenaje, an honor, and. And remember what they what they mean to me, mm -hmm. and so I have that side, of course. 
and I write about other things like you know the immigration issue, the the frontera, uh, I, and, and to be called a political poet to me it's um, it's not a bad thing. I don't like titles. Uh, I I don't set out to write about politics. It it's just inherent in in my upbringing and what I see in uh, I'm a kind of a sponge. I guess you can call me SpongeBob or Sponge Roberto. I soak everything in, and uh, and then and then it comes out. Mm. Whatever way it's going to come out, but it's going to come out. Uh, yeah. And let me clarify. I do believe po poetry could still play a part in school. I think it's important to to have poetry. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, in school, I believe that. But I, I think once you reach like the scholarly level, that's where I'm like a little iffy about it. Like, well, then you get a bunch of people reading to each other. You know, t playing tiddlywinks with each other, mm -hmm. and it's a closed group. The doors are open, but it's a closed group. Come on. You know, yeah, yeah. it's the friends reading to friends, mm -hmm. essentially ad nauseum, forever. Right. And they won't go out of that circle. And so what is that? It's a close group. And uh, another piece I wrote, it says, how many workshops does it take to give a workshop? <laughs> now, when, when you got the poetry bug, like once you're like, you got into it, it's like, all right, this is, I could do this. Like, what places were you performing at? Did you start at open mics? Or? Oh no, there was no such thing as open mic. It was that, that term was not heard of when I started writing open mic. This is still in the seventies, right? Yeah, yeah. There was no open. Um, I mean, they didn't call it that. Like, it was whatever it was called. Poetry reading. It was a, a poetry reading. No open mic. That that that's later. Uh, oh man, as soon as I hit the ground running, like they say, or the gravel running, slipping and sliding. And I went, uh, my first reading was uh, at the Alum Rock Library, believe it or not. Yeah, I scared some people there. That was a pretty good one. You scared people? Well, I could hear the chairs going. What, what were you doing? <laughs> because I'm animated. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not a character. I like to believe I have character, but I'm not a character. Okay. okay? This is not a cartoon. So, uh, the first reading, well, because I'm pretty, and I'm, I'm pretty loud. I have... I must have swallowed a microphone when I was younger or something because it's, it just, sometimes it just boom. You got projection, yeah. Projection, yeah. have <laughs> been reading for a while. So, and if you're in the front row, you're going to get it. That's it. You're going to get sprayed, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the show. <laughs> but it, yeah, you know. So, so there's, it was uh, Elm Rock, and then I went to Carmel by the Sea. There was a reading there. And uh, I got it, I'm, I'm remiss here. There was a creative writing teacher that I, I took a class. I went to Hartnell College in prison. Yes, I, there's college in prison, Hartnell College. And so in between riots, we would study. In between riots? In between riots. Yeah, I mean, the, well, the, the, so if the riot, here goes the, there goes the siren, boom, boom, boom. They get the teachers out. They come back the next week. I mean, where were we, class? Oh, man. <laughs> that kind of stuff, right? And the creative writing teacher, you know, a bunch of big buff dudes, you know, writing poetry. It was like, wow, look at these guys. Pretty cool. And her name was Bonnie Garthshore, the late Bonnie Garthshore. From, she was from Carmel area. Well-respected teacher. Very well-loved. And that's where I got my inspiration for A Friend of Sorrow. It came from that class. That's how I named it. Now there's a lot of poetry open mics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you and you, do you first really uh, put yourself out there like that? I I, I gotta say this. this is, poetry to me is not a it's it's not a plate thing necessarily in terms of it takes energy, man. And 
I don't necessarily want to be doing every open mic there is, or even uh, a few here and there. It, it's draining, uh, and it's a preparation to go up there and just 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 spill your guts and your soul out, and then and then all of a sudden you know then go go sit down and like nothing happened. No, no, man. It's it takes a lot out of you. To me, poetry is real. It's so real that. Uh, I, I, I'm losing a part, a part of my soul is gone and I left up there on the stage right there hanging on that mic stand, man. Because it takes energy and it takes a bit out of your your being and because uh, you're putting it out. You, you, you're really putting your heart literally to strangers and uh, it, it's not a joke. I... I, I to me, reading. Do you uh, feel like people treat you like a joke sometimes? I think that I think there's play poets. Play poets. I call them play poets. I call What's them, that? They're just having fun and giggly wiggly. You know, they go there and and being cool and being and being hip. Uh, to me, it's 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 it's, uh, it's it's a walk, baby. It's a, it's an entire life walk, you know. And it, it's not a skip and a jump and a hopscotch and and everything is you know uh, funny and. And cool no man this is a tragedy going on here and so the poetry to me it it it, it evolves it, it it feeds on itself and it evolves and goes wherever it wants to go uh, I'm just a, I'm the I'm the cat that's just throwing it out there but it, it it's it's everything my environment you know it's it's me in the environment uh, interacting it could be people in, in that environment. It could be a the building that. So it's like it's a spiritual thing for you as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it it evolved that way. It 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 didn't set out to be. I didn't go out there to be try to be some kind of poet guru guy. You know, uh, it was not my intention. Uh, if people get spirituality out of my work, and I've been told that that there's some essence of uh, things that they really feel that that transcends and that. They get something out of. I love that. I mean, I, but if do I'm you, doing that. Do you feel it's a spiritual thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. It comes from another place, uh, and it's not necessarily that physical body that we're trapped in. It cannot. It cannot. It can. It, it, it comes from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you feel that plays a part in your creative process when writing? Do you feel? Like I think it's inherent in in my being and who I am and how I've been uh, brought up. My mom raised us, you know, single mom, nine kids. I think a lot of the strength came from her. And my dad was a son of a gun, man. That guy, was, you know, he was, you know, uh, jack of all trades, master of none, that guy. And he didn't always treat my mom that good. And I was, well, I don't get into that. What line of work was he in? My dad was a uh, uh, bonded labor contractor. Bond labor contractor. Bonded labor contractor. In other words, is that part of the union? No, no, man, no union. This busted about settles over the border before. My dad was older than Sister Chavez, and they were friends. Sister Chavez, the late yeah. Sister Chavez, uh, he knew my dad, and we talked about it. And, and he was a jack of all trades. I mean, he would he would work in the dump. He had us when we were little kids in the dump, you know, clean out like I thought it was the, the Philippines or something. The dump, you know. Third world kind of stuff, you know? Which I don't really like that word, third world. Because what about the first world? What about the second world? It's all the same world, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is. But labels. If you say somebody's from a third world, 
What about the second world? What about the first world? It's an alienation thing. It's a term. It's I call it uh, call it vulgo vulgar words where they they're meant to divide. They're meant to set apart. There's too much division. There's too much of that. Yeah. Uh, too many too many groups. It's a group for everything. Okay. Yeah. And so it's more division. That's the opposite of what it's intended to do. Right. I mean, how many meetings can you have? <laughs> Okay, so so you think you found a lot of your strength from your mom, who eventually had to take care of nine of you. Uh, yeah, I, I, because I didn't know my dad. You no, know, he he was you know I seen him two three times in my life, for minutes at a time. I don't remember him that much. Just when he died, sixty eight. So my mom was is, was the rock of the family, and my mom had an eighth grade education. She dropped out of school in wow. eighth grade so she could. Help, take care of the kids. So how she do it? Like, what line of work did she get into? She was a farm work, uh, a farm worker. She's oh wow, in Delano. And then when she came to San Jose, she worked in the canneries for thirty years, and in the fields picking. You know, we picked apricots, prunes, pears, cherries, all the stuff that was in Santa Clara Valley, the Valley of Heart's Delight. Yeah. And she worked in a cannery, and it killed her basically. You know, she got a, a vein from the hip. From the heel to the hip, they they took it out. She ended up getting an amputation from working in Del Monte, from you know the cold floors and the all the wet and the environment, uh, the conditions in the cannery. So yeah, she suffered a lot, and I owe I owe her my life. And over the years, I've dedicated poems to her and books. And she actually kept, you know came to see my readings before she died, and she she was proud of that that, that I did that. And she was very supportive. She's supportive of that but she thought it was crazy because I wasn't going to make any money because you can't make money doing poetry I go I know mom but I like it you know of course I worked I worked at different jobs throughout my lifetime you know so I mean uh, done different things uh, and I, I you know I didn't kid myself about making money in poetry I didn't, I didn't start out to I didn't did you know I didn't, I didn't do poetry as an avocation as a, as a vocation as a as a job uh, and uh, or teaching at a college necessarily, but I've done workshops, of course, in high schools and colleges, and I've done numerous readings, I mean, hundreds of readings over the years. Uh, so, yeah, you know. All right. I, I want to move um, to your upcoming projects. Looks like you have a documentary in the works. Mm. Uh, is it finished, or are you guys still filming? Oh, no, it's it's finished. Uh, finished. But, but the finish, this nothing's really finished. It's going through some edits again. Okay. The first edit is what you have here that's now on Facebook and it's, uh, uh, in different mediums now. That's right. It's out, the, the trailer. And then it'll that will be also worked on, uh, another uh, editing process, and then the third editing process. But the film has been submitted to CineQuest already. Okay. Yeah. Can you talk about how you got involved in this project? Well, well, I was uh, Bill Cazzini came to a reading. I, I I did a poetry reading downtown San Jose. He he came. I hadn't seen him in a while, and he and he got a hold of me. You know, we talked, and he, and uh, he says he sent me an email. He goes, I have an idea. I'd like to film you and 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 do this documentary. And I go, whoa. So he came to me two years ago and said he wanted to do my life story in a biography, documentary, and, and he did it. And uh, interviewed a lot of people. I'm not gonna say who's in it. You'll come to see the documentary yourself. Mm -hmm. But uh, some local people and uh, 
it's dedicated to my brother David and his memory and his life. And I'm very proud of it. There's music in there and a soundtrack from my, I have six CDs that I've done. There's gonna be soundtracks from those CDs, bits and pieces. Uh, they're gonna show my artwork. A lot of people don't know I do art. Yes, yeah, my art. Oh, you do art? Yeah, I'm, I didn't yeah, know that. Well, you know, nobody how, does. How'd you get involved in that? I just, just uh, well, when my daughter got killed in Chula Vista in um, Freeway, um, well, she burned up basically. She she uh, burned up in the freeway now. Chula Vista, that's in San Diego. Yeah, yeah. She was coming from a studying class and. She was going to be a dentist. Her name was Desiree. I have a tattoo here of Desiree. And, uh, that motivated the first, the, the, to do art? Yeah. I started painting. I was living in, uh, actually in the back where Alfred Shadow lives, who's an art teacher in Bellarmine, San Jose. He uh, gave me some art supplies. He came to... Uh, to visit me and and, and he, he wanted me to do outlet so I started painting and uh, that's how it started when I brought, my daughter got killed I I, I I did a few paintings and, and then I stopped I mean as quick as I started I stopped it was just an outlet to another outlet for my pain mm. yeah. uh, but yeah uh, documentary uh, it's gonna have live performances and uh, from San Francisco to different parts of the Bay Area, San Jose, maybe some from New York, I'm not sure if that clip is going to be in there. But yeah, yeah. It's remarkable, man. You, you've gone through so much in life. <laughs> you've done so much in life. Oh, you know, that, that, that... And for the most part, you know, you know, you, see, you get this positive aura around you. Well, thank you. Uh, I've been told that there's something that they can't touch but they can feel uh, that happens uh, I get into when I get grounded and I and I and I really want to express and to, to the poetry if people do feel it it's more than just words and uh, sound and uh, you know my mouth moving it, it's there's more more to it than that yeah hmm. uh, is there a, anything else besides the documentary that you're currently working on uh, yes. Well, going in the studio with 819 to do another album. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I just uh, finished. Uh, I'm behind three books in terms of getting them out there for you know, publishing. How, how many books have you already published? Uh, six. About wow. six books. Uh, there's uh, one that I'm excited about. It's going to be called Obsidian Eye. My, it'll be my biggest book, poetry. It's going to have the long pieces, the intermediate pieces, because a lot of my new work is, uh, I call uh, boom, boom, you know, uh, one, two. And... Uh, are, they qu are they quick reads? Yeah, I mean, seconds long. A lot of my work, it, you know, <laughs> it's really funny. It goes, okay, you get to read one poem. I go, uh, let, me, let me talk to you. You see this poem? It's four seconds long, okay? So I'm going to read more than one, okay? So they don't get, you know, they're not used to, oh, I've got to drive people crazy. The organizers, the poetry readers, they want me to do one poem, I'm not doing it. And one, it goes, well, you got five minutes. Well, I can read about 35 poems in one minute. Yeah. <laughs> well, where do you think you developed that style of short poems? 
I don't know where it came from necessarily. It just, it just uh, started. I started writing like that, and then I started saying, "Yeah, this is what I want to say next," because to me, the reality is that the writing is in the next line. It's not the current line. It's in the white space between the black print. The poetry is in the pause, baby. It's in the pause. Okay, you can't, you know, uh, it's not a page with a bunch of lines in it and that's it. No, no, no. The innuendo, the coraje, the anger, the love, all that is in the middle between the words, in the pause, intonation. There's a lot of process goes into that, but it happens automatically. And I started writing the short pieces and then I started, that's the, ended up writing that way. Uh, of course I do longer pieces, but I've been called haiku-esque. That's the term they've used, that haiku-esque. Well, heavy on the esque, because I don't like pattern. Haiku has a process, a pattern, a meter, and all that stuff. It has a certain mind. Uh, I don't even know what it is exactly, uh, but uh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to follow a pattern. I don't I, I don't like rules. I don't like people telling me how to, the style in which to write, or the manner, or the, or the grammar, and I also dispense with punctuation. I have no use for it. I don't use punctuation, and I don't use titles. It's just the way I develop the writing. Yeah. Or it, it developed itself, you know. Yeah. And have you had people try to uh, try to sway you a certain way of, of writing or performing? I don't listen to that. No? But no. it has happened. Hell no. No, it hasn't no. happened. Well, you know, uh, how do critics taste? Hmm? I'm asking you a question. How do critics taste? How do critics taste? I don't know. I'm not a fan of critics usually. Okay. You know my responses to that? What is that? They have none. They have no taste. <laughs> well, maybe that's the thing. They're critics for the pursuit of taste. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there's too much to write about. Uh, there's so much to, to write about that I don't like to take advice from people. Hmm. Because... I listen. I'm a great listener, by the way. You cannot be a writer without being a good listener and be really aware of your surroundings. I mean, smell it, you know, taste it, you know, uh, feel it. Yeah. And uh, I agree completely. It, and it it happens automatically. The process of writing is so simple. I mean, uh, I wrote a piece and goes thus: a poem is not a time or place for thought. There you go. Wow. Now also, you also got a bit of that 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 jazzy improvisation to it as well. Ah, uh, man, I dig jazz. Um, I, the person I really admired, I was Gil Scott Heron. Was uh, I'm a big fan of. I was, you know, I still am a big fan of his, and uh, liked his style, and and somehow incorporated, but. Uh, kind of a mesh between jazz and blues and, and then my own creation and the poetry and, and it and it comes out the way it comes out. And it's not something I seek to, to strive for to get a certain uh, sound or uh, style. It just, it, it seems to invent itself automatically on the spot, on stage. It just, just happens, it, it, I'm feeling it. Yeah, yeah, so I like that, the freedom of that. Mm. But now I'm working with these cats, they, they rock on, man. They, they just, they do some, some stuff with the, with the you know, with the instruments, and I feel it. And 
I, I always want them to play, to start playing before I even, you know, I want to hear them. So when I'm in the middle of these guys, whoever band it is, whatever band it is, but currently I'm talking about 819. Uh, and then I, I really listen to them and I could feel them and I could feel the vibrations going in me. And pretty soon my body starts moving and then I know when to come in, you know, when to come in. I used to drive musicians crazy and we'd go to the studio and they said, we've never worked with a poet. I go, well, first time for everything, right? They're used to singers. I go, I'm not a prima donna singer and I'm not a singer. Uh, I call it the yes word. Do you sing? You know, people say, what do you play? I go, I'm a vocalist, I do poetry. He goes, what instrument do you play? See, they don't get it. If I'm on a stage with band members, they're playing and, you know, they get into the, the, the music, well, I'm playing with them. We're all playing together, you know? Do I have to have something, do I have to hold an instrument in my hand? Hey, look, I have an instrument, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a musician. Mm -hmm. Yeah, vocals are, vocals are it, 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 an instrument. That's what it is. Uh, so yeah, you know. Wow. And. Uh, well, Roberto, we're reaching the one hour mark. We're ending up soon. Talk that long already? <laughs> yeah, it flies right fast. Man, I didn't get a pause yet here, finishing my coffee. <laughs> but uh, usually what I ask, uh, I like to end it up on is l looking back at your achievements and looking back the the stuff that you've gone through, mm -hmm. What what's something you can reflect? Oh, boy, that's many years, huh? This is just too much stuff. I, it's, it's never one thing. Uh, it's it's the multitude of things. It's a combination plate. Uh, it's I, I don't don't really uh, like that question uh, because I don't have an answer for you. Yeah. Uh, I, I, then I would cheapen it. Right. Uh, I guess I'm not gonna answer. Well, it, yeah, it's yeah. more about you know like yeah. Let's say you meet yourself when you're in that classroom. At, at San Jose City College, what's a word of advice you give yourself? Oh, you mean when I was at City College in '74? Sure, yeah. What I felt, I I liked school. Uh, I, I liked being in the classroom situation and uh, raising my hand, uh, speaking out. And a lot of times I would see the students, they were um, they were petrified or yeah. frozen in time or something. What yeah. the hell, I gotta bring an ice pick and thaw these people out, man. You know, they just wanna sit there, get their grade, get the hell out. No, man, experience it, man, for what it, for what it is, and uh, the potential to, to, to get in it, man. Yeah. You know, just don't sit down and bell rings and you're gone, you know, like that. No, 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 it, experience, experience it, experience the people. Because school is about people. And when That's I see people staring into these things called cell phones, yeah, they're zombies, man. They're not even people. Students are gone. Where They're zombies walking around, bumping into each other, staring at this this electronic device, and all, you know, right in front of them. And they're in college. What the hell are you doing with the cell phone? Half the students are running around with cell phones in college. Put those damn things away. Experience the university experience the people talk to people they're on the cell phones constantly it's, re it's just so sad man dude that advice just blew my mind you're right experience people I, I think that's that's kind of forgotten in our culture almost because people the, a lot of people of course the thing is find your group which is always nice find your comfort 
comfort space. Sure, sure, sure. But but at the same time, that could kind of make divides well, even bigger. Your, yeah, yeah. You, you got to meet different people from different backgrounds. Give it a try and experience them in the yeah. sense of like really get to know who they are, not just what they say, yeah, yeah. not just what they believe, but who they fucking are. Exactly. Uh, and respect. You don't have to like it, but at least have some kind of a respect for people's uh, experience. And and sometimes you're going to be blown away about and why and how they have similar things going on in their life. They don't have to look alike. They don't have to be the same age. They don't have to be the same class. But you'd be surprised once people start talking to strangers or, or other people in, in this same university, different other students. There's your wealth. There's your knowledge. And there's your school, baby. Roberto, thank you for coming on this podcast. Thank you, man. Hope you had a good time. We... Oh, yeah, this is pretty good. Yeah. I like this, yeah. And, uh, and, and thank you once again for coming on. Right on.